Outside a Thread is recorded on the unceded territory of the Wurundjeri people of the Eastern Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land I broadcast from. I recognise their ongoing legacy and connection to land, waters and culture, and pay respect to their elders, both past and present. I extend this respect to all other First Nations people of this continent, whose stolen land our infrastructure and digital connectivity is built upon. Thank you so much for joining me. It's nice to see you again. It's been a little while. I feel like I haven't seen you since your birthday, actually. No, February. Mm, and a lot is changing for you at the moment. You're moving to Sydney pretty soon. Oh, my God. July 1st. Mm. I'm out of here and I feel very excited about it. I feel like change is healthy. Mm. But I'm also going to miss Melbourne a lot. But I'll be back all the time. Yeah, yeah. Are you... Um, yeah, what's going to bring you back? Are you going to continue with your business being down here or you're moving everything fully to Sydney? Well, for the first two months, I'm just partially moving. Um, I've got friends renting my place out where I live and I think I'll keep my stuff here in the office for two months and mm-hmm. then I'll probably move it up to Sydney after that Gotcha. and establish myself properly. Mm. So full movement. Full movement is occurring. Yeah. 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 So I guess I'll get you to start by giving me an introduction of yourself and what you do for work and all that kind of thing. My name's Meg. I grew up in country New South Wales. I studied applied fashion design and technology after school. And I like begged... Um, a brand I loved at the time to have an internship with them while I was studying and just really tried to impress them and got offered a job and then it all has like started from there. So that was the beginning launch into the career Um, and I've moved around ever since doing lots of different roles. Mm. What was the brand that you started with? One teaspoon. One teaspoon. Cool. Mm -hmm. And what kind of brand was that? It was predominantly women's fashion and mostly denim. Mm. So I um, kicked off the career focusing and learning on denim, like washes, fabrics, finishes, fits, and did a lot of traveling overseas to all of the different manufacturers and then to the different distributors because they had 16 different countries that had um, distribution agents Mm. that stocked the brand. This is a pretty big experience as a 22-year-old to be doing that. Yeah. (laughs) But it was cool. It was a good, like, bolster into the industry. Mm. So One Teaspoon, was that a pretty big company or that? It was at the time, Mm. yeah. Now I don't know what is happening with them, if they still exist or they kind of were big at the same time that Sassambide had their time, you know? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I see. So, yeah. but yeah, being over there, traveling around and meeting with manufacturers at age 22 was obviously pretty formative for you, someone who's had experience working as an agent. What gave them the faith in you to let you do that? Um, I guess 
I don't know about you, but when I meet somebody, I feel like I know whether I could trust them or not. And mm. I think you can tell a lot about somebody with their like attention to detail and their ability to apply themselves to their work. Mm. And I guess what that's what the owner saw in me. I just like treat whatever brand I'm working for as my own mm. and apply myself to that job as best I could. And a lot of people I don't think have the same work ethic because you do, you just don't have to. So why put yourself through the torture? But <laughs> it's the opposite for me. Mm, yeah. So that kind of acumen, I guess, has like guided you and allowed you to form your own business, which is Appraise Studio. How did, can you tell me a bit about Appraise? I started that when I actually quit that job at One Teaspoon as like a marker in time to be like, I don't want to work in this industry for at this pace, churning out this many products this often. And it just all felt very fast and unsustainable. And it just didn't feel like there was much like thought process going into any of it or much care. Yeah. So it was a pretty low price point, One Teaspoon, when it was going out. Yeah, it was, I think maybe people wouldn't perceive it as being low, but um, the prices, they'll, yeah, I don't know, maybe for some people it's low. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, um, like a medium price point. But, yeah, I just kind of created our pre studio after that because I didn't want to work for anybody else in the industry who would expect you to work like 80, 100 hours a week and you get paid the bare minimum mm. and everyone wants your job. So that's always like used as a threat against you. So yeah. I created that just to kind of be a bit like, you know, that doesn't, you don't have to have an exploitative brand in order to be successful for like people you work with for and for the environment. Yeah. 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 True. It's very interesting. I feel like um, you started a praise studio to prevent that kind of exploitation happening to people, but in doing so, you've made the most of your own like intense motivation because it seems like you are the kind of person who, to me, outwardly, it looks like you're working like 90 to 100 hour weeks, <laughs> incredibly busy. Yeah. I mean, I just, like, our praise never been full-time for me. I've always had a full-time job, mm. whether it was like doing design and... um production management for other brands and doing offshore manufacturing for them or consultancy or working for another brand. I recently just resigned. I launched a brand called New Form for somebody else who owns it. And I just got given a name and they're like, we want a sustainable activewear brand, go for it. Mm -hmm. So that was a cool experience. I learned a lot doing it and it was a really cool brand, but I resigned last month and now it's completely changed. So that's got its own new life cycle. It's starting and I'm trying to like remove myself from being attached to what that was and just enjoy it for what it was at the time and mm -hmm. what I could learn from the experience. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, I was quite interested in the fact that you were doing creative direction for them because for I feel like for a lot of people, creative direction is kind of like the holy grail of what people fantasise about in fashion. And you're an extremely hard worker. What do you think um, 
so you, I guess you got to that point by having a really strong backing of understanding of manufacturing, running your own brand. What did creative direction look like for you? Did it because my friend Ella, who was the creative director of Subtype, they felt they resigned because ultimately they were amazing and worked really hard, but it's like they were doing so many different jobs. Mm. Yeah, what is what is the day to day of working in that role look like? I feel like I had a, a bit of a different experience than a lot of people who would work for an established brand because I was starting a brand from scratch on my own you it kind of I was doing so many roles Mm. like it wasn't just the creative director I was like the brand manager and I was the fit model and I was the designer and I was doing all of the talent procurement which is more creative direction and all of the branding and all of the copy and everything else um which is amazing but it's essentially like running a second brand. So all of the creative direction, yes, that was a huge part of it, but it was a lot more people management because I ended up building out a team and then just like keeping on top of them and their to-do lists every day and then making sure everything else was running smoothly with the factory and then organising everything and compartmentalising that and then still being creative and executing something for someone else who's liable to shareholders who wants to make money at the end of the day <laughs> is really difficult yeah, balancing yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And yeah, so I guess doing that while you were running appraise at the same time, it's pretty much like you were running two full time jobs. Yeah. How did you balance all of that? I guess like you have that intense focus, but how do you not burn out? I don't know. I feel like I was pretty close to burning out towards the end there, hence mm. why I resigned. Also, appraise like Finally, after five years, even though I never gave it all of my attention and love, is starting to pop, which is so exciting and so beautiful. And I feel like I needed to do all of the learning to get there. Um, Probably, like, can shout out to my little sister who's a naturopath and to exercise in general just Mm. for, like, helping me not burn out. And I also am, like, an extroverted introvert. Like, I still have my downtime. Like, when I'm at home, I live alone, and I still do a bit of work, but, like, I like cooking and reading books and, um, you know, switching off in that way. So, and exercise, like, exercise is so important to me. Yeah. And I don't really drink that often. Mm. I feel like that would be a very demotivating part of my life if I did that quite often. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And congratulations on a praise popping off as well. And also, (laughs) yeah, closing out a big successful tenure working for New Form. But yeah, it's really exciting moving forward. I feel like, um, yeah, appraise honestly has nowhere to go but up because, yeah, it's such clean lines. It's so wearable and it's such a beautiful line, which with it, which is ethically produced because yeah. I think that's kind of like the thing that is uncommon because in NAM it's like there's so many designers, but what is missing is actually that level of commercial wearability with stuff that's ethically constructed. And Totally. Yeah, yeah, your clothing has that, but I think in a two-sided coin as well, something that I... I never wanted to say it because I um, didn't want to, like, make you feel bad, but when I worked at a restaurant once, I remember seeing a girl who was wearing a fake version of your top that I know that you made that was very successful. It was the one with flared sleeves. Um, yeah, yeah. That's... Yeah, how do you... Like, it must be so difficult being an independent designer and seeing stuff like that that you've put so much time and effort into just get reproduced. Totally. I feel like no matter what industry you're in, as a creative, that's always going to happen to you. And, like, I try and take it as clout that 
they're stealing my ideas mm. because like they must think that it's amazing um there's nothing really that I feel like I can do unless I start seeking legal advice but mm. I just like honestly don't have energy and time to go down that route and people who care and can tell the difference between high quality and low quality and who have um I guess the ability to be able to care financially can make that decision and if you can't then or don't want to then that sucks <laughs> I don't know I can't like yeah you know it is impossible to like I think that's the difficulty of it because you can never litigate someone or and it's also not worth the effort but totally yeah my partner like if he listens to this he'd be like babe I'm fucking calling the lawyer now you get your money <laughs> in a loving way yeah you know yeah. he's like got my back because mm. I just don't have that grunt in me, like, to to get, I guess, to fight that fight at the end of each day, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think it is, yeah, it's so difficult because it's the kind of thing that you ultimately really can't fight against because the legal structure and the way that these, built like, brands are structured, you can never actually get a decent outcome without probably making yourself broke in the process. Totally. You're cornered as a small person or business. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And something I also wanted to discuss, um, I guess, which runs alongside your work in creative direction and appraise is your work in manufacturing and as an agent, you are really good at manufacturing things. And you, I know that you constructed some of your own textile constructions when you were working at New Form, which to me was really interesting. Is that something that you learned to do in your studies? Um, no, I didn't learn that studying. You still learn about like fundamental base fabrics and what they're use is like what they'd be applied to for best use I just feel like a lot of experience and time and exposure to different products and like designing so many different categories and products allowed me to build up a bit of a bank of knowledge and then I've worked with like so many manufacturers around the world I've got quite a good relationship with a lot of them um I wouldn't say like I'm an agent in the way that agents typically work because they make money off people and I know that they still do a job in helping them so that fee Mm. counts for something but I don't get paid to put people in contact with ethical or sustainable manufacturers I just partner people with um, suppliers that fit their business model if they ask me and that is a favour that I'm doing the suppliers as well and they keep tabs of those favours so whenever I need um, to manufacture samples or bulk production they prioritise a lot of my work they also would do things like I've got customers who sometimes I don't manufacture sizes for because I've tried to increase my sizing but it's very costly Mm. but I'm happy to make one-off samples for people in different sizes as long as they just ask and I don't charge for it and they'll manufacture those and create patterns for free and use like three times the amount of fabric say and not pay me and not give me an upcharge for it yeah so I guess we work on more of like a kindness and trust basis and goodwill and goodwill rather than um I make money every garment or every client or every sample um And I think I prefer, I know that that might be like a bit of a pushover thing for people to wrap their head around, but I just would rather work in that way. Like we're people at the end of the day and if 
if you're having a beautiful exchange, I think that that's like meaningful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think it definitely is valuable. And it's interesting to hear you say that because I think it is in my experience in fashion quite separate to a lot of, to the approach that a lot of people have because of, I guess, like the brutality of the industry. But it seems mm-hmm. to me that, yeah, you have really strong values and you put the work in as an, I don't know, kind of as an alternative in a way to doing it and approaching things in that way. I think it was really interesting um, hearing you say how you've got the relationship where you're able to get custom samples made because I think that's such a difficult thing in the fashion industry is making sizes inclusive for everyone because on the surface I know that um, at Morosky Peach they initially copped a lot of flack for not having inclusive sizes because there is the lack of... It's, it's an impossible situation in a way because you threaten yourself financially if you are to make fully inclusive sizes that don't sell yet you're not being inclusive if you don't so Mm. yeah I think it's really interesting to hear that you've kind of built up that structure in a way to make your business still viable but inclusive yeah I feel like I'm in a lucky place with that and I hate people making people feel like they're outside of the algorithm where they have to ask or wait longer but at the moment it's just not financially feasible but the more demand I get for it, I keep tabs of everything, you know. So mm. the more demand there is, I'll start increasing it. But it's still there. It's still an option, just takes a little longer. Yeah. 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 I see. Um, I think that also kind of leads into your structure of selling things because I feel like with appraise, particularly since I became aware of it in the Fashion Week or Fashion Festival a couple of years ago, it's continued to grow and you quite often will throw it out on your Instagram offering pre-orders in sizes of what people are interested in. Do you Mm. feel like that model, how do you feel like that model helps you? Because it's not something that I personally commonly see. I think it definitely, your business is also characterized by a breaking down of barriers between you and your customers because you always encourage, you have pop-ups where you can, so you can speak with people and let them look at the product and let them order the product if it's right for them or ask you questions. Mm. Yeah. It's, I guess, the pre-order thing I think is something people are getting used to very slowly and maybe in very certain areas because we live in this um, day and age now where people have such quick access to emotionally respond and shop for things that they don't even know they've purchased like it happens so fast Mm. I personally find this happens to me a lot on TikTok where I'm just like oh my god I feel like impulsed to buy something and I check out and purchase and I'm like what the fuck I didn't actually whoa, I didn't even want that, (laughs) you know? So I feel like it's a certain thing and and I think it actually encourages people to be more mindful in what they consume because they have to wait for something, which is something we're not used to doing anymore. You want to go on a date, you want an outcome, like you can go and get it whenever you want. You know, everything's so accessible now. So I think it feeds into people's perception of quality, um, which I love. But pre-order can definitely defer some people because a lot of people want to purchase something for a certain event or they've got something in mind. So you have to be quite like savvy or mindful with your purchasing to be able to like make sense of that wait time. Mm. I think it'll happen as people move away from fast fashion and impulse buying and maybe like think about their pieces they're purchasing and having them last a long time. 
but maybe that comes with age as well. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you talk about this concept of like instant gratification and literal impulse buying where it's almost separate from your consciousness because for me, I'm, I don't use TikTok, <laughs> so I can't relate, but that is so interesting to hear you talk about because I feel like it's probably a common phenomenon. Um, and for me, I think that the... I don't know. I guess I don't... I have an issue with, like, buying expensive clothes, but the clothing that I have that makes me feel the most good is stuff that I've had for a really long time, and it's far more than gratification. It's, like, comfort, it's heritage, and it has a story, which is something that I think that appraise also offers because with your social media, you break stuff down and you provide the background into the concept design and how you came to construct it and that kind of thing. Mm. Everything's, like, so highly thought out on my end and I find it difficult sometimes to articulate that every process to the customer because I've got so many things to do I can't just talk about every idea or like every stage of every um, design Mm. all the time I'm getting better at documenting it and talking about it more because I don't have another full-time job now I've got a lot more time to be able to have that connection and um, education experience with my customer but yeah, I don't know. It's it's um it's a changing landscape, I think, definitely for the consumer. Fuck, I just forgot the question. No, there is no question. <laughs> I I wasn't asking a question, which is good. I just was getting the statement back. <clears throat> but no, that's good. I think um I guess what all this highlights on the overall is like how important the stuff that you make is to you because with a lot of designers, I think certain people I know uh, their process is so harebrained and scattered it's like they make a product but they maybe don't relate to it and they it's working as a business model they're trying to sell it and make money whereas mm. you you have so much faith and like love and loyalty to your product as well which I think led me to think of previously last year when you were getting your appraised coats constructed which mm. I know you put them out for pre-order but it also came at an enormous cost to yourself personally it was a huge investment but your ability to have that much faith in what you're doing and I feel like there's kind of like a weight with the stuff that you produce. Where do you think that comes from? That was scary. Buying those coats was so I was scary. Scared. I was scared for you when you told me how much you spent on them. I was like, this is fucking them. all of my savings. Mm. I hope everyone loves them. <laughs> but they did. Yeah, they yeah. did. It paid off. But it was scary like to back your creativity like that financially is a very, like, sleep-depriving decision to make. Mm. Um, (laughs) Yeah, fully, actually. But it was exciting. I don't know where I get that from. Like, I guess I don't... There there have been times in my journey when I haven't had a lot of sleep because I have anxiety and I wake up worrying about my decisions being commercial enough to make money but then creative enough for me to be proud of them and actually wanting to wear them myself. With all my pieces, though, if I can't find something I want to wear, I create it and Mm. I have conversations with my customers and my friends about it and I try and create something that fits as many people as possible and a gap that they are trying to fill in whatever they can't find to wear. So it starts there And then I feel like most pieces I created, like tonight a friend came through my office and she tried on something that was from like three years ago, something that was from last year and one of my new samples in development, all in one outfit and they all layer well together and look really great. And I think that's the thing as well. They're all 
really interchangeable and like great on their own and with whatever you already own but they're like building blocks you can literally lay on most of the stuff and they work well together because the proportions are developed in a certain kind of signature way and the fit is a kind of a kind of complementary um I guess I don't know aesthetic it all works even if it doesn't you know yeah yeah and I think that is like there is definitely a theme that's running through your clothing which is yeah there's kind of like a particular silhouette and not a consistent silhouette but it's like you play with shape and you play with form in a certain way that makes everything go together yeah totally yeah and I think um something that's been interesting I guess it kind of returns to the goodwill that you've built with manufacturers but it's so many um, like little cameos of samples that you put on your Instagram whether it's like appraised socks or stockings or phone cases and oh stuff like god. that oh my god yeah it's so hard to like <laughs> I just want to create all day Darcy mm. and that's like not feasible you know not sustainable not responsible mm. whatever but like my creative little fuzz brain does not stop creating like I've got a pretty business-minded brain as well. I feel like I'm half-half, but I just want to create all day and I just want to share with everybody things that I think will make them feel better. And it's so hard for me to, like, rein it in sometimes and be like, shit, what actually is amazing out of this and what's going to be, like, low impact and what is actually essential or what's just for my ego, you know? Mm. But I'm always creating stuff. Yeah, even at home, like, I just faff around. Like, my interiors change all the time because I can't stop creating, like, spaces or, like, little zones or, like, dress outfits to make you feel away. you know? It feels mm-hmm. all interconnected to me. Interesting. Yeah, I think so. I was going to ask you, I guess, about your creative process, but it sounds like your creative process is just part of your existence generally. Yeah. But I think um, I was curious about yourself in the past few months as someone who's running two brands, doing exercise and that kind of thing. What does your day look like and how do you fit all this kind of stuff in? Because seems sounds like you have kind of a regimented approach to your business, which definitely helps with the structure because I think that's the thing that in so many people who work in the fashion industry, they have the massive creative mind, but they're missing the business acumen, which doesn't allow the business to function well. Right so true I feel like I developed it from working for other people Um, and because I've got both sides of the brain pretty evenly I find it quite easy to balance but my weekdays are pretty like full and I don't really take on too many social things because I already know that I'm in a bit capacity and I need my time to like cook and feed myself well and sleep and exercise to be able to do my job properly and if I'm not doing that then I feel really, like, lopsided, Mm. I guess. And then I get anxious and then I feel, like, disappointed in myself, I guess, for not showing up for me. So that's, like, really important for me. I don't necessarily do the same thing at the same time every day. I'm not that regimented because I like leaning into how I'm feeling a bit more. But I try and structure my days in blocks where I'm like doing a certain kind of task within the business for a certain day, just so I can actually get on a get a bit of momentum and get all those tasks done. But I wake up at five thirty in the morning and then like I go to bed early, like mm. nine or ten. But 
yeah, sleep's good, food's good, exercise is good. And then work is kind of a reflection of all of that. Mm, And clearly your work is immensely fulfilling for you. It's not just something that you're trudging through, which allows you to do this kind of thing without collapse, hopefully. Totally. Yeah. I feel lucky that I've always felt a penchant for creating clothing and fashion. So felt like a natural thing for me to take on Mm, yeah yeah. and I think returning to that pension I guess what do you I want to know what initially inspired you to go into fashion and also I think obviously you have that desire to create all the time but is there anything that now is driving you do you feel like there's an end point that you're striving towards with a prey and with your creative practice I've tried to think about like you know people do five-year goals ten-year goals and whatever I haven't done that for my own business. I've done it for other people's a lot, (laughs) but not my own. And I'm just, because I'm just transitioning out of someone else's into my own, I feel like there are things that need my immediate attention and that feels like something I can return to in like a month or two. Our prey at the moment is getting to a point where I've got customer service person, um, They dispatch orders and do customer service emails, but I do everything else. And then I've just asked a friend to start working with me as kind of like a design assistant, production manager, shadow of just like random tasks that I do, who's extremely lovely, so talented and like so driven. Hmm. So that will be really helpful because at the moment I'm finding it really difficult to do everything on my own and I feel like I'm in this weird growth period stage where I'm going to need to outsource some help soon probably um but yeah I don't know where I kind of want to want to cap it I've only got a few limited customers that I wholesale to and they approached me one's in New Zealand one's in America and one's in Italy Mm. and I just like said to them these are my terms you need to pay up front you can have the stock when it arrives. This is what I have coming. Because unless they approach me, like I, I don't really want a wholesale business model because yeah. I can control and have that connection with my customer more. And if they want to buy into that, absolutely. But if they, it, like, it can really restructure a business model and I think you can end up blowing out and overproducing. Definitely. I think that the wholesale business model also just has a habit of taking power out of the hands of the creator because especially, I think, in NAM, it's so, it's so the way there's obviously a few independent places that sell designer clothing and otherwise because I think it's returning on what I was saying before about people who are missing that business acumen but they have the creative acumen they can make the clothing but they have to wholesale it to people which makes it incredibly difficult and I've heard firsthand from people who are almost sending themselves into financial ruin so they can meet the terms of the wholesale agreement which is very interesting so I guess in a way you kind of have the advantage of being a seasoned professional and also you've made it to the advantage of your business model because you've built this close relationship with people. Because I assume that most of your clients are probably repeat purchases. Yeah, definitely. Majority of my clients are. There's over 45% of my purchases are repeat, which is pretty high stats. But also as I'm growing, I'm sure that will change a lot. Mm. It's, yeah, I I love that control that I have over the business because I feel like when wholesale steps up it can really blow out and before you know it 
you know, to put a run of production, a line of production through can cost so much money. People get a line of credit to pay for it. And then wholesale terms can be like all different for every single store. Massive multi-brand retailers kind of get to play to their own terms and their own advantages because you get the idealism of having them as a stockist Mm. and their brand name to like give you credibility. So, I mean, it's like a funny push and pull thing. I've got friends with huge businesses and huge wholesale businesses and they it's it's struggling at the moment because it got out of control and unless you've got a great accountant or financial advisor who's across your books all the time, it can very easily become something that you end up in a bit of a hole with. Um, and for me, I guess like having that organic growth has prevented that issue but also when you want to scale a business you need cash flow and so a lot of people decide to do wholesale to start paying for production runs so it's like a better the devil you know sometimes Mm. because I've been lucky enough to be able to have a full-time job and most of the money I earn has gone to funding Upray and that's why it's at a position where it's at now so I can work in it full-time and grow it but I had to do a lot of work at the same time to be able to fund it. Mm. So it's been slow, but like worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting to hear, I guess, like just linking to the wider economy and it's thinking about you having a 45% customer retention base of people who are repeatedly purchasing. These people who are often wholesaling their clothing are actually far more at the mercy of this, you know, shrinking economy that we hear about of people spending less because it's those kind of instant gratification or unknown purchases that people would be making less of so totally yeah it's very interesting and kudos to you for putting in the hard yards to build your business in a sustainable way thank you and kudos to my makers because they do such an incredible job like their quality is amazing and I pay a bit more for it but I don't mind doing that because I know every time that the make is reliable and I can be really confident selling products that I know are going to last a really long time. Mm, Exactly. And I think that I can definitely account for that because it's that kind of, I was speaking before about the accessibility of your product and in how wearable it is, but that kind of level of craftsmanship at an affordable price point, I think that your tracksuit pants that I bought off you were maybe $180 or something like that, which is ridiculous for the amount of fabric that you receive and yeah, the quality and how they've lasted. So they look so good on you. Uh, I love thank them. Thank you. Yeah. I love them. Yeah. No, it's a beautiful item of clothing. Um, and I think I wanted to link back as well to you talking about a prey popping off and recently you're kind of in a growth period. Wondering where that growth is coming from and also if maybe it links in with TikTok and marketing and how that's been looking for you. Good question. I feel like I was... There was a period of time, maybe, because Upray's been, it's almost six years old now, Mm. maybe at the four-year mark where I was ready to throw the towel in, and I was just like, fuck, this is just taking all of my money and all of my extra time, and I felt a bit spiteful about it. Mm. I'm glad I didn't do that, and I kept pushing on. I just felt like I had a bit of a personal evolution at the time as well, because I've had it since I was 25, and, you know... I'm 30 now and that's a really formative time in your life where I think you evolve a lot as a person and 
whatever's with you for that time comes along for the journey. I feel like I've landed somewhere now where I feel really self-assured and really confident with the direction of things. And I've had a lot of practice. And now I feel like I've landed in a place that feels solid and everything else is starting to reflect that. And then also TikTok has helped a lot. Like I had two people purchase something who have got a high following and I just like didn't know where all of these sales for these two items came from all of a sudden one day and I traced it back to TikTok and it's widened up my audience like to America particularly so much. Mm. Like last month I got back statistics for my sales, 70 no, wait, what was it? 60% of them were Australian, 40%, oh no, 30% were US and the other 10% were other countries. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And Which, that's changed a lot. Like before that, it was like maybe 15% from every country. And then the rest was all Australia. Yeah, which is interesting because you are such a thoroughly Australian brand and I don't feel like the marketing is targeted that way. It's very interesting. Do you? Are you the person who's managing a prey TikTok or you mean it? Yeah, so yeah, I do all the things, baby. You do all the things. <laughs> just not, yeah. just not send your beautiful pieces. Mm, mm. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, TikTok's a very wild, wild world of opportunity. But as we were speaking about before, an interesting one. I don't really know the ins and outs of like privacy and what they can access of yours. Yeah. And I should probably do a little more research rather than being so nonchalant about it. Mm, it's. I feel like it's definitely a catch-22 for a business owner because it's obviously the benefits are so big that you actually, although there might be privacy concerns, I, based on what you said, it's like you can't really afford to not be on it for the loss that it, like, it proposes if you weren't to be on TikTok promoting your stuff. Totally. It's been... A, a pretty great tool over the last month or so, I guess. Mm. Yeah. I was so apprehensive, but I was like, oh my God, I'm not going to be one of those people who, as you get older, starts like hating on things that feel new to you because you're fearful of them. Mm. I was like, I just need to get onto this. That's the way, I think, because you risk irrelevance otherwise. Like, totally. Yeah. You risk irrelevance. Which is me. Fuck, I'm irrelevant because <laughs> I'm not on TikTok. But oh, my God, no. Yeah. No, it's, it's one of my future objectives for this show. I feel like that's why I'm trying to kind of film stuff more because I've noticed it's very interesting, I think, that the advent of TikTok has, as we said before, like it's pushed instant gratification to such a point where I've noticed even on Instagram with Reels, videos are so heavily edited that there's not even a break between people speaking. So frequently it will be an edit of like 33 second bits all put together. So there's no time to take a breath. And it's kind of scary because I think that previously what it looked like to be a marketing expert five years ago would almost be irrelevant now. Oh, 100%. Even like I feel like the updates happen every three months mm. and like what you need to be doing changes. And that's why people who are in marketing have like this education piece where they need to be keeping updated all the time on like what platforms are relevant and what kind of things you need to be using to optimize that platform and your brand on that platform. And it's a lot of work. And it's also just like retraining each time. You're like getting used to a new platform you're going to have to get like, um, I guess, tailored software to use to edit, to use the platform optimally as well. Like it's all performance based. So it's a lot to take on. 
Mm, yeah, fluidity is the flavor of business by the sounds of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Totally. It's a scary future that we're moving into, but in the present, I was curious about um, if, I guess, you're primarily based in NAM, but if there's any upcoming or existing designers that you're a fan of that their ethos really aligns with you or their creative output you really admire. That's such a good question. You know, I found a couple of brands the other day, and I think they're both from Korea. I can't remember what their names were. I love their aesthetic, but I know nothing about their brands because it was all written in their language online and I didn't translate it. But I don't look at other brands and what they're doing enough to have anybody who I can pinpoint to be like, oh, I love them and what they're doing. I just Mm. try and run my own race in that way. Yeah. Um, But I'm sure there are so many amazing people doing such cool stuff. I should maybe do some research. Because I can't even answer that question. Yeah. Well, it's. I think it's very interesting that you can't answer that question because I think it highlights why you have such a strong creative identity because, yeah, I think, um, you know, I've seen fashion behind the scenes and the process of so many people is to just look at designers and get inspiration from them in... But, you know, it's inspiration, but also it's like copying the silhouette with a bit of that and a collar of that. Where do you feel like your inspiration comes from in designing garments? Um, I, I still go like, I'll go vintage shopping and find reference samples that are super old and I'll like chop and change this, pull that from there and like create like a Frankenstein garment and create something I want it to look like and then use that as like a starting point for a sample. So I recontextualize ideas in that way for sure. But it's more of a physical process for me. And I'm also inspired a lot by fabrics. Mm. Or I just know how I want to feel. And then that feeling's associated with a fabric usually or a color palette. And then I'll just start building out a mood board because I've got boxes of fabrics. And then I'll start sending photos to Daisy or Wallace, who both are there, my manufacturers' names. And I'm like, oh, my God, what have you got? dead stock of these like colorways and Mm. these are the kind of compositions I'm looking for and then it all starts from there yeah interesting and I think that it's interesting to hear you say that because I feel like for me especially a garment can so be a feeling because for me fashion is like armor and it's a way that I can feel powerful in myself I think I see a lot of that in apres um Mm. and yeah in how clothing can make you feel a certain way or push you totally it's so important like I get so many DMs and they're all pretty positive most of the time, which is amazing because I feel like people don't often go back to you and give you positive feedback. They come to complain. Mm. So that's beautiful. And a lot of the feedback I get are people being like, oh, my God, I wore my top. I wore my dress. I wore my coat. And I got so many compliments. I swear to God, they're like compliment machines because (laughs) that's just like amazing to me Mm. to be able to give somebody an idea that turns into a piece of clothing that they are able to purchase that allows them to feel confident and maybe like accentuates something for them that they identify with within the garment. That's amazing. Like that's the best feedback ever because I guess at the end of the day, that's why I do it because Mm. I feel like I have this embedded responsibility to represent people who are underrepresented or misrepresented or push for like, 
the little bit extra or a little bit different. I don't want everybody to be cloaked in the same thing. Um, and so to hear that feels like I've represented somebody well and like done them, um, not done them, I don't know, that they've been able to benefit from mm. that feeling or that creation. Yeah. 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 I think that's a really beautiful, it's really beautiful to hear that that's the way that you get creative fulfillment and how that, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? I feel I'm like I'm so that, lame. <laughs> no, it's not lame. I think to me, it's a lot more, um, you know, as we've discussed, you're someone who has an extremely strong business acumen, but actually the values that guide you are, in my experience, very different and a lot more admirable than a lot of people in the industry because it's, yeah, you're kind of striving for something a bit more pure or an idea or a feeling or just trying to make people feel good. And yeah, I think that it seems like for you, quality and emotion comes first and then profitability is an incidental positive. Yeah. I feel like if you're doing those things and you're coming from the correct place or like what feels right for you and you're not compromising on any of that personal value stuff, then the other things are like happy accidents. Mm. I actually, you know, that has made me think that for all of my online descriptions, I think I will start listing feelings, Mm. but then I don't want to tell someone how to feel. Feelings associated when wearing. Caution, when wearing this garment, you may feel... <laughs> complimented. Sexy, horny, yeah. <laughs> Soft, lady. I think it's good. I think Strong. it's a good idea to explore. And it's not something I've heard before. Mm. Mm. I mean, yeah. Feedback, anyone? Something to build on. Would something love to, to know. I Maybe like it's it. a socials thing instead of an online descriptions thing. Mm, yeah, good for the story. Yeah. 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 Well, Meg, thank you so much for coming and joining me and sharing your wisdom with me. My final question for you is if you have any advice for other people who would like to get in the fashion industry, people who dream of being makers or creative directors or anything like that in how they should start or maybe how they should move forward. I would probably, I mean, studying is good, but it's not like the be all and the end all. I would probably reach out to people who inspire you or brands who inspire you and ask if you can intern for free for as long as possible until it doesn't feel right and learn what you can from them and get a taste for the industry, see if you like it and maybe try and use it to navigate what your strengths are. So you might, if you want to study, you could and you have like more of a pinpointed idea of what you want to focus on within that area. Otherwise, just keep working for other people and if the fit is right for both of you, you'll be offered a job. I know you can't work for free all the time, though. Like, you don't get... Working for free doesn't pay the rent. Mm. But um, you can do paid internships as well. Um, That's probably how I'd approach it. I just like to work for somebody. I just wouldn't leave them alone until they gave me an opportunity to work hard for them. And at the end of the day, if somebody approached me over and over again with that kind of dedication to wanting to work for me, I'm like, this person is going to really work hard for the brand and they believe in it and they're going to know it top to toe probably better than I would. So, like, why not give them an opportunity, you know? Mm. I don't know. Some people might think it's pestering, but squeaky... Squeaky wheel gets the oil. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. Indeed. (laughs) It's true. 
grit, yeah. determination. Oh my god, I hate. I start giving the Kim Kardashian speech. No, I thought it was very <laughs> beautiful. Meg Wilcher, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks Cheers for to having you. me. Yeah. Cheers, honey. <laughs> you